Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 21 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Oh, very well, Mary. Uh, shivering a little bit in the uh, the winter cold here, but <laughs> excited to be, to be with you and our fantastic guest. Oh, yes. Likewise, it is one degree here right now, Max, and um, I, I just flew in actually uh, yesterday evening. Evening, um, from Seattle, uh, where I attended the Aviation Geek Fest, and let me just tell you, the weather was so, it felt balmy, <laughs> and it felt warm. It was about 55 degrees, but I, I did not want to leave, let me just tell you that. I was, I was uh, fearful of arriving back in, in the frozen north in Philadelphia, and I came in my car, I literally at the, uh, at the parking lot, uh, the parking garage at the airport, it was encased in ice. I ended up having to break out a high heel. <laughs> and cut my car open. So that's been my my last 24 hours. Oh, dear. <laughs> In any case, before we get started, um, we'd like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we're all in the business of delivering. You can visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Michael Riley. Michael serves as Vice President of E-Enablement and Entertainment at Arconics. He's a 15-year veteran of the industry, and he's now leading the expansion of Arconics' key products, including wireless IFE and electronic flight bag solutions for pilots. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the other side of the world. How are you doing? Hey, Mary, I'm very well. Thanks for having me, and I'm sorry to hear about your, uh, your winter struggles right now here. It's kind of... <laughs> high 70s, low 80s for us, so it's very pleasant indeed. Oh. <laughs> Michael, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be jealous, guys. Actually, it sounds like you have a, a, a job that I think I would be envious for. Uh, Arconics is an exciting company doing exciting things, and so uh, you're very fortunate. Well, thank you. Um, every job has its ups and downs, of course, but... Um, we are doing some exciting stuff in the space, and, and I think it's a, a very timely um, uh, position for the company to be in um, as the industry uh, really moves forward with with significant change in, in the digital space and the connected space. So certainly no shortage of things to do for us at the moment, and it's an exciting time. Fantastic. Well, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, it would be hard to miss the recent dust-up between Delta Airlines CEO Richard Anderson and some of the Gulf carriers. Anderson claims that Emirates, Etihad Airways, and Qatar Airways enjoy an unfair competitive advantage over U.S. carriers in the form of government subsidies. And the Gulf carriers hit back, saying U.S. carriers have been able to restructure their costs under the liberal Chapter 11 bankruptcy laws in the U.S. But this row begs broader questions about whether U.S. carriers can compete with Gulf carriers in terms of product and the overall passenger experience. So, Mary, you've been tracking this. So, can U.S. carriers compete? 
Oh my, I'll tell you what. Um, th- I, as you know, Max, this has uh, been quite, it has been dominating headlines really in the uh, commercial aviation space here for the last uh, week and a half uh, with both sides going back and forth. And Anderson, very naughty, uh, even uh, likening, uh, you know, the, the competition to 9-11 terrorists and, and managing somehow, some way to, uh, to, to wrap that all into an analogy that didn't make a whole lot of sense to a whole lot of people. But in any case, um, uh, there's a lot of rhetoric out there, but when it comes down to brass tacks, and I find uh, this uh, Airways piece, actually a recent piece by Airways, about the passenger experience on board uh, U.S. carriers and whether it can compete, um, I find it really interesting because I think there are very few folks out there that would say that uh, the Gulf carriers... Um, hard product uh, in kind of business and first class can be beat these days with very few exceptions. And so uh, they're, they're just renowned for offering kind of a fabulous premium service that goes above and beyond really anything that, uh, that the U.S. carriers have or been doing. Um, in the back of the bus, uh, in economy class, you know, what's interesting is that the Gulf carriers uh, and the U.S. carriers are increasingly on the same page. They're, they're each side are squeezing more and more seats into economy class. Emirates, in fact, was one of the early adopters of the Tenebrest 777. And, of course, we've seen U.S. carriers now uh, going down that path. American Airlines went Tenebrest when it took its 777-300ER. And, of course, United Airlines now talking about even retrofitting aircraft uh, tenebrest. Um, so in economy class, the hard product is increasingly becoming similar. I would say that uh, the, the Gulf carriers uh, still do offer a lot more content on the in-flight entertainment systems, irrespective of class. Uh, again, Emirates is known for this, Cutter uh, as well, and, and Etihad. They all have a really kind of nice IFE experience. And then on the soft product, um, I'd say most folks would say that the Gulf carriers are, are superior there as well and, and in customer service. I know I've had various different experiences uh, with both sides. I'm curious, Michael, about your own personal passenger experience on Gulf carriers and U.S. carriers. What have you observed? Well, I mean, I I think it's uh, an important point to make here is that it's, you know, they're very different markets. And Mm -hmm. um, for U.S. carriers, I mean, yes, of course, they have their their long-haul product, um, which is probably more akin to what the Middle Eastern carriers are doing. But a lot of U.S. carriers uh, are competing very heavily in, in, a, in a crowded domestic market, and I think that's a very different story for what, say, Emirates, Etihad, and Qatar are doing, where they're very much hub operations and, and doing kind of long haul, ultra long haul flying in, in many cases. Um, you know, six hours to Europe, six hours to Asia, or twelve plus hours to, to the U.S. or somewhere like Australia. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of product, in, in my perspective. Look, there's no question that they do things very well. There's no question that they're extremely well-funded. Uh, and, and it is a tough market. I mean, it's, it's not just U.S. carriers that are, that are noticing this and, and complaining perhaps about the, the, the competitive advantages that they might have in terms of fuel subsidies or any other assistance that governments provide those, those Gulf carriers as opposed to um, publicly listed or privately owned carriers in the U.S. and other parts of the world, certainly Qantas um, in, in Australia have been making noises, similar noises to what Delta uh, suggested, that that there are some unfair advantages and, and the Middle Eastern carriers responded in a similar fashion, was 
you know, well, stop complaining about it and do something about it. So, um, look, in, personally, I, I think that Middle Eastern carriers offer a great product. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of Asian carriers offer a great product. Um, I, I think increasingly the US carriers have, have, have definitely upped their game um, in, in recent years. You know, uh, at the end of the day, though, to me, economy class is still economy class and, you know, there's only so much you, you can do to, to make it a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. You know, Michael, one area I have to give props to the U.S. carriers on, while they have not rolled out, while they have not rolled out, um, you know, true premium economy seats yet, you know, they do offer these kind of option of extra legroom products, which it doesn't seem like the Gulf carriers are uh, are moving as quickly on on these types of uh, de- these types of products. When you fly, do you uh, look for those kind of extra legroom or premium economy? Or are you uh, up in business? What's your cor- corporate travel policy, which is what we've been talking about lately? Yeah, a- absolutely, and and um, you know certainly from from my part of the world, most of my flying is long haul and. Um, Without doubt, I, I look for, for those bargains in, in, in either premium classes or, or um, a premium economy product. And um, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough in the sense that there's several airlines serving my part of the world that offer a premium economy product, and, and usually it's at a, a price point that's attractive and, and justifiable to the business. So, you know, that, that is a, a huge draw. And, and I do agree with you that, uh, that the Gulf carriers have been slower to to adopt that kind of um, approach. Um, they, they're typically a, a three-class or a two-class approach. And, and what, what I mean by three is um, many of them still have first-class business and economy. Um, and the two-class approach usually is, is business and economy. They don't have a lot of um, premium economy offerings like, like the US carriers and a lot of Asian carriers are starting to introduce. Uh, there seems to be kind of an, a paradox. In some ways, it's easy to be a premium carrier uh, but it's it's hard to be a low price carrier and provide good service. So, do we have this sort of this this division? Uh, the the premium providers and the LCCs and and all the folks in the middle have sort of a tough time of uh, of being inexpensive, low cost, but still providing uh, the the good experience. Ah, uh, you make a good point there, Max. Actually, I mean, this is, you know, the big fear is that you're just seeing this kind of gradual commoditization of air travel. You know, how do you distinguish yourself when you have, you know, a growing body of carriers picking very similar aircraft configurations? You know, they're going with high density in the back. They're uh, going with modular lavatories. They're, there's only so much that they can do in terms of IFE and, and service before, you know, at what point can you differentiate? Um, um, I would say that, and, and I think this has held true for many, many years, that service is so important. And, and uh, you know, as we've talked about in the past, uh, you can go a long way with a smile and a friendly attitude. And I think this is one area where, unfortunately, at, for lots of good reasons, the U.S. Uh, airlines don't always get the best marks. And again, the, the reasons are, 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 in fact, ironically, sometimes even linked to Chapter 11 because these airlines restructured their costs. Uh, they're able to, uh, you know, uh, essentially restructure their labor costs. And, and you can imagine why longtime flight attendants at these U.S carriers might not feel so rosy and happy <laughs> yeah. right now, you know? So it's kind of a double whammy uh, here in, in the U.S. What about your own experience, Max? 
Well, and the other thing I was going to say is that uh, the pilot, you mentioned the flight attendants, but the pilots mm-hmm. also, because, you know, we see uh, mergers and trying to uh, blend together uh, different seniority uh, situations uh, across the pilots. It, it gets uh, very difficult and almost nobody comes out happy. So, yeah, it's a tough, very tough situation. Indeed. All right. Well, let's move on. Now uh, that more and more aircraft are E-enabled, the FAA has announced plans to establish an industry working group, and this group is going to tackle cybersecurity concerns. Uh, this, I think this is a very hot topic. Mary, what will this entail, and why now? Well, I'll tell you what. So the FAA issued this notice um, saying that it was going to pull together this uh, committee to provide recommendations regarding what they called Aircraft Systems Information Security and Protection Policy, ASISP, which is a really long way of essentially saying cybersecurity. <laughs> but uh, and, and ultimately, the goal is for this group, this industry group, to deliver recommendations to the FAA because, as you know yourself, aircraft increase that our new, new generation aircraft are E-enabled, the A350, the A380, the Boeing 787, and then all aircraft now built henceforth um, will be truly E-enabled. And of course, increasingly, they're being fitted with not just in-flight connectivity systems, but broadband in-flight connectivity systems. And we're at a point now where you even have stakeholders talking about moving more important operational data, and even some of them talking critical data over broadband pipes, ultimately. Um, um, and uh, the FAA realizes they need to do something about this. It's, uh, it's kind of strange. The FAA, while it has addressed cybersecurity concerns on specific types, like the 787 and the 747-8, and it issued special conditions for these aircraft when they were being developed, the FAA doesn't actually have kind of a broad policy for cybersecurity and aircraft. And I think that part was a little bit stunning when, you know, to fully appreciate that they're just kind of getting around to this in 2015. It's kind of remarkable. Um, <laughs> we have a great person to talk to about this, though, today. Michael, I, I know that you're, I mean, gosh, you've got e-enablement in your title. Tell us, what do you think about the FAA's decision here? Well, I, look, I think better late than never, but um, I'm certainly glad that they're doing it. Um, and, and no doubt EASA and, and other um, global bodies will, will follow the FAA's lead. Look, uh, it's it's clearly a, a crucial thing. I mean, um, you just have a look at, at what happens on the ground. Whenever there's a connection, there's a hacker waiting on the other side trying to trying to get through that door. So, I, I think we'd be fools to to suggest that there aren't going to be some um, some people trying to hack into aircraft systems. And uh, um, obviously, the safety of, of, of aircraft and airline operations are, are paramount to, to the industry and, and to, to all of us who work in the industry, the, the health of the industry. You know, not to mention the safety of our of our travelling public and loved ones. So um, it, it's a crucial area. Um, it, it needs to be addressed. Policies do need to be to be developed and and to be communicated because increasingly, as we see aircraft with um, flight deck connectivity systems, I mean, you know, those, those sort of connectivity systems have been around for a number of years with the likes of A cars and so forth. But mm-hmm. as, as the bandwidth increases and the amount of data. Um, that's coming off the aircraft uh, is is exploding, and, and we're seeing up to a terabyte of data is, is available coming off a, a typical uh, Boeing seven eight seven flight in in uh, EFB stuff that, that we've been working on. So you add 
uh, cabin connectivity, uh, passenger connectivity and, and cabin crew connectivity to that, which a lot of airlines are obviously looking at. And suddenly you've got uh, multiple channels and vast amounts of data coming off of aircraft that need to be secured. Yeah, I think this is an issue that uh, many industries, not just aviation, have uh, neglected to, to, to really fully step up to it. Uh, the way I look at it is uh, corporate lawyers. I mean, they discovered a long time ago that there's often more text in a good contract that describes what happens when things go bad than there is text that describes the actual deal. Uh, they characterize that as being, you know, a contract is more about the divorce than the wedding. Well, uh, software engineers, I don't think, have really learned this lesson. They they think the hard part is building the code that achieves some new spectacular valuable result. But in fact, the hard part is building in security for all the bad things that can happen. So I'm really encouraged by this, uh, this FAA uh, move to activate the Aviation Rulemaking Advisory Committee. The key thing is that that committee is made up of or is assembled from a group of uh, interested parties, uh, people from industry, uh, academia, uh, just all kinds of groups uh, are, uh, are drawn upon to form this uh, working group. And I hope they get the right kind of people in there that can make the right kind of contributions. I especially hope that they have have some members that include representatives from uh, uh, large military contractors because those folks know how to do this. That's a really good point, actually. You know, in the article that I that I wrote about this uh, for the network, um, I mentioned just as a kind of a a a data point uh, that uh, that this consultancy Air Insight um, has found that a lot of the airlines that are bringing, just say, for example, their electronic flight bags. Uh, the, the, that are offering electronic flight bags to pilots, uh, particularly the portable ones, the portable variety, um, that a lot of these don't have the kind of necessary cybersecurity protocols that they should have um, and security protections. Michael, um, I know that you're d- dealing a lot in electronic flight bag technology. Wh- what needs to happen in your regard? Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's an excellent point, Mary, and a, and a very timely one. We are currently working on a, a, a deployment, a fairly substantial deployment of, of portable EFBs for, for a large Asian carrier. And um, one of the, the key reasons why they have been uh, so focused on, on a slow deployment uh, to, to you know, thousands of their pilots has been the, the security of the mobile device. So we've been doing a, a great deal of work um, with not only uh, the products that, that we provide, but um, the platform that they chose, and not only proving that, that we can secure the device, um, but absolutely, to, to your point, to, to ensure that um, uh, suitable policies are developed and communicated to their stakeholders internally uh, to ensure that uh, the devices are, uh, are not subject to any kind of uh, attack vector or leaving a gate open for, for anyone with uh, less pure intentions um, you know, to, to kind of exploit. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that fall into that category, unfortunately, less pure intentions. Um, I know that this was some, sadly, it is very, yeah, I, I know that uh, some people find this a sport, you know. Um, I, you know, I had someone recently contact me saying that, uh, claiming that they uh, were able to prove that they could hack into a flight management system on the ground. And of course, there's been various conferences like Hack in the Box where, you know, these kind of 
kind of uh, oh these hackers um, try to show how vulnerable aircraft are and there's been kind of a mixed response in the industry to this sort of thing and, and most folks think that you know it's a lot of talk but with all of that said um, everyone knocks on wood when they when they say that N- never say never you know you we have to be proactive the industry has to be proactive about um, ensuring security because there are folks that you know have uh, malicious intent out there unfortunately you know that, Max what are your thoughts on this yeah sometimes it's just ridiculously easy to hack into a system uh, and, and again it's because there's just a, a, a lack of awareness, a lack of commitment in terms of uh, providing at least some of the basic safeguards. So uh, sometimes it's very malicious. Sometimes uh, there's governments involved who are interested in uh, learning technologies that they don't have or have other you know nefarious objectives. And other times it's just somebody that's, like you say, Mary, there's a challenge placed in front of them. See if you can get in. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think there really is nothing wrong with that because those are the people that prove that, uh, you know, someone else has to uh, make something a little bit more secure than it is. So, uh, you know, having a having a hacker or two on the payroll is not necessarily a, you know, a dumb idea. That's a good point. <laughs> I, th- I think provided they're, they're white label hackers and, and, and yes. they're, they're guys who are, who are, as you say, Max, um, uh, proving that certain things can be can be done better yes absolutely i I think the the thing that all of us have to be concerned about are are those with with less pure intentions of course all right well as a final topic here uh, we have the indian startup vistara now they've announced plans to beam ife directly to passengers devices well michael you're an expert in this field Uh, does it sound like vistara is doing something new here something novel and uh, I also suppose that the the big question is, will wireless ultimately replace embedded IFE systems? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to that question, Max, I'll say an emphatic yes for the health of our company. But uh, uh, look, I, I think that the reality of, um, of wireless replacing um, uh, embedded systems is you know, a long way off if, if it's ever going to happen. Um, I, I don't see it doing it. Um, exclusively, not not by any stretch. Um, and if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about the, the, the golf carriers and a lot of those ultra ultra long haul international carriers, you know, I think wireless technologies will definitely play a part in how they deliver their IFE. But you know, whether or not that is wireless to, to the point of the passenger and the passenger device remains to be seen. I think that there's certainly uh, long going commitments to to embedded systems, um, particularly embedded screens, even if uh, a lot of the underlying infrastructure ultimately changes. Um, so, I, look, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to replace embedded IFE. I think more what we're seeing is that it's creating new opportunities in new markets and airlines, some airlines, particularly low-cost carriers and, and carriers focused on, on shorter-haul operations who may not have considered an IFE solution previously um, simply because the, the numbers didn't stack up. Uh, and now adopting IFE um, products and services through through wireless technologies. As far as Vistara are concerned, um, look, it, I think what they're doing is 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 a, is a good response in terms of the Indian government's um, stance on on in-flight connectivity, which is to not allow it over um, continental India at this point. It, it is. It is a wireless delivery, a wireless local network on the aircraft that, that, that beams content. So it's quite similar to 
uh, to a number of other carriers uh, who've already introduced that sort of technology. So, Michael, Arconix has uh, been rolling out, obviously, wireless IFE on some carriers. Can you talk about your own installations at all for us? Yeah, uh, so our launch carrier is is Corand and Dutch Airlines, um, which are a Dutch tour operator. We're installing on their um, 737-800 aircraft. The the really interesting thing about uh, a, a low cost and a tour operator is is that they are so heavily focused on ancillary revenues, and and that to us has um, has really kind of struck a chord with with what we like to differentiate our product within the market, and that is beyond the cabin. So. Wireless streaming in the cabin, absolutely, it's 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 proven. Um, it's increasingly being adopted by by different carriers around the world. It's it's a good product to um, to keep the the passenger experience up to date with the latest screens and 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 so forth. It allows um, airlines to not or to worry less about uh, aging infrastructure as far as the IFE systems are concerned. But uh, we think that the next kind of um, I guess um, key thing to achieve as far as IFE systems are concerned is, is how to take the experience beyond the cabin. Um, now, there's a whole bunch of issues associated with that in terms of content licensing rights and who, who owns what piece of data, whether it's the airline or the airport or, you know, there's a, there's a number of conversations that we're involved in at the moment, but certainly the opportunity is there and uh, Corindon are uh, um, quite are positive in um, pushing forward on maximizing the IFE experience inside and outside the cabin. You know, one, uh, you know, here in the US, we've seen a number of carriers roll out uh, wireless IFE, in fact, free wireless IFE. But one complaint that I've heard regularly, including yesterday with respect to Alaska Airlines beyond wireless IFE, is that um, there's just not enough content yet. Um, Some of these, so you can have this kind of technology that works, but unless the airline's willing to invest in the content. What are you seeing from a content perspective, Michael, um, you know, in terms of wireless? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, uh, uh, airline investment in, in the content is crucial. I mean, um, uh, you know, the old analogy, this is kind of pointless building a house if you're not going to bother to put a roof on it or to paint it. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, investment in the content is is absolutely crucial and, and um um, logging on to a, a wireless platform and then seeing a, 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 you know, a fairly um, narrow selection of content is, is a little bit disheartening, uh, particularly when you usually if you're using a tablet or, or a smartphone, you're, um, you know, the experience is sort of akin to, to being on the internet and, and the, the, the vast amount of content that's obviously available online. Um, but, you know, it's not just the airlines that we, that we need to consider here. It is actually the content owners and distributors and ultimately their, their business models, which will change, are changing. But the, uh, you know, the, the, the geographic kind of centric licensing models of, um, well, you can't license this off the aircraft for this particular territory because so, someone else owns the rights. Um, those traditional business models um, are, are what's stopping a lot of that at the moment. And, and I think that that's going to need to change more and, and probably will change more over time. Uh, take the US as an example. It's perfectly fine in many cases where, um, one studio or, or, or major distributor um, owns the distribution rights for IFE but also owns them domestically for home video. So the airline can then, in fact, uh, offer the, the movie um, post-flight for a, for a certain period of time. Um, internationally, that's much harder to achieve uh, where, you know, a, a large studio might own the distribution rights for IFE but then once you get on the ground, it's, it's it belongs to somebody else. So 
it's going to take time, but, uh, but we're confident that not only will the technology evolve, but the, the content licensing and supply models will also evolve. And do you think ultimately, you know, how things are evolving on the ground will, will be mimicked in the air? You know, I cut the cord on cable over a year ago now, and I've been a happy chappy about it all. I mean, you know, I stream what I want to stream. I watch what I want to watch. Um, I don't feel like I'm missing out. Max, what about yourself? Do you still have cable? Oh, we have so many cords coming into this house. <laughs> Redundant. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, well. Here, here's how I can justify. I just have to try everything, Mary. So okay. if it's out there, it comes into my house. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, you know, I mean, the younger generation is used to streaming content. Of course, they're used to accessing the internet, accessing Netflix. I know my daughter; she's nearly eleven, and. I mean, I don't even know why I bought a new TV a year ago. What was the point? We don't even watch it. She's on her iPad. You know, I'm sometimes, you know, before bed watching, I, I hate to admit, trashy, trashy Real Housewives of Orange County or <laughs> oh, Beverly Mary. Hills on my smartphone. It's ridiculous. Binge watching. But it's happening in flight as well. And Am I right, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and I think increasingly we, we, we will see that from the, um, from the younger generation, uh, particularly as they turn into tomorrow's business travel and premium traveller. I mean, um, streaming is changing our, our content consumption habits on the ground without question. Um, and, and the same thing will happen for IFE. It's just a matter of, of how it happens and when it happens. But I have no doubt that it will happen. Well, exciting times, Michael. We are rapidly coming to a close here. We want to thank our many listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on at Runway Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. I'm happy to report that we are rocking and rolling on PaxX hashtag. It's getting to the point where I'm now having a hard time keeping up with all the news, <laughs> yeah. even on the hashtag. <laughs> Max. Oh, that's fantastic. But I'd like to reiterate our thanks to sponsor eGate Solutions. And I'd like to thank Michael Riley for being our guest. Michael, where can listeners find you at? They can find me at uh, uh, arconics.com. They can find me at michael.riley at arconics.com um, or a number of other ways if you're, if you're smart enough. If, if, you're, if you're into hacking, I'm sure there's ways that you can find me. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, we invite you to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.